Dose of Leadership podcast, episode 296. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you for tuning tuning into the show. Great, exciting guest today. Sean Dowdell is on the show. Sean Dowdell is the founder and CEO of Club Tattoo. He's also an author of a brand new book called Tattooed Millionaire. And uh, Sean was born in the early 1970s, lower middle class family in Phoenix. And at the age of 18, he entered in the music industry where he was a drummer, worked his way up and eventually signed three record deals. Kind of the local Arizona scene, making it there. And his lead singer, Chester Bennington, who you may recognize his name as the lead singer of one of the biggest rock bands of all time, Linkin Park. And while he was in the band and kind of having this kind of local success, he and some other band members opened up kind of a side business called Club Tattoo, which eventually has grown into six locations in Arizona and eventually two on the magnificent Las Vegas Strip, including the Planet Hollywood Miracle Mile shops and at the Link Hotel and Casino. And he's become a very successful business owner with he and his wife, Thora, and and a partner, Chester Bennington. And uh, he's also become one of the world's leaders in body piercing. He's developed all kinds of unique uh processes and procedures and theories behind tattooing and piercing, instructional videos, giving lectures around the globe, jewelry design, patent technology, and Club Tattoo has become the world's most renowned tattoo brand company, and it's continually growing with Sean as the leader and its visionary. The company's currently valued in excess of $20 million and is growing every single day. And his book, Tattooed Millionaire, talks about his life, his trials, his tribulations, and we talk about life and leadership on this show as he does in his in his book and it's just uh, I love his authentic and genuine soul. I love his view on leadership. He gets he he's had it from an early age and we talk about that. I was struck by how he really understand the core concept of leadership where a lot of leaders don't even get until their late late stages of leadership development. He knew it from the from the get-go and I know that was a contributing factor to his success. We talk about it extensively here on the show. You're really going to enjoy Sean. I love, his again, his authenticity, his creativity, his vision, and his passion for, for life, love, and leadership, and you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Hey, reach out to me at doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com, or you can send me an email direct at richard at doseofleadership.com, and uh, let me know where you're at in a leadership journey. And if you're interested in joining my Legacy Leader Blueprint Mastermind, where not only will you get 20 videos, four masterminding sessions with me and nine other, nine other like-minded leaders, you can be part of this show. I'm doing something special this summer, but you got to apply. If you apply for $349, you become part of the mastermind, or $130 a month for three months. Um, you can become part of the, the group. And we're going to record two special bonus sessions with a top thought leader, names to be released shortly where you can have conversations like we have here on Dose of Leadership. We're going to record it, put it on the show. So those are two bonus sessions in addition to all the other mastermind stuff that we're going to do, all for $349. Uh, heck of a deal, heck of a value if you're wanting to jumpstart your leadership journey. All right. Without further ado, Sean Dowdell, the founder of Club Tattoo and the author of Tattooed Millionaire here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Sean, I'm excited to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show, my friend. 
Thank you very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, I have always been fascinated by uh, the tattoo business. You know, I was in the Marine Corps, and there have been many a drunken night when I was this close to getting a tattoo, but I have yet to get a tattoo. But uh, I've always been fascinated by the business, you know, and it's one of those things that's just really taken off over the last 15 to 20 years. You know, it seems like everybody has tattoos these days. Yeah, I mean, the studies are showing that about 35 to 40% of Americans all have at least one tattoo, and the number keeps growing each year. So it's amazing. It's definitely, you know? yeah, it's become mainstream. Is it? It's almost like one of those things where, um, I guess you would have said it maybe, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Oh, it's a fad. But man, it's well beyond that, isn't it? I mean, it's just, it's like here to stay. It's really become integrated into our culture as who we are and how we like to express ourselves at this point. Well, I'm interested how it got started for you. So take me back to, um, I don't know, what was the dream? I mean, you hear your kid, you're growing up in the 70s like I did. I mean, what was the dream as you were growing up? So the dream as I was growing up, you know, my, I grew up pretty poor, uh, you know, lower middle class family in Phoenix, Arizona. And, you know, my father was an accountant. My mother worked for American Express. And, and they both, you know, they always want you to work hard. They have really good work ethics. But they didn't really have big dreams. They had three kids. They were kind of underwater financially. So the big dream stuff went out the window pretty quick as the Carter administration came into full swing. Right. Uh, um, yeah, economics were pretty bad. So I was brought up to really, you know, don't dream too big because you're probably not going to be able to get there. Mm. However work your ass off, and then you'll, you'll be able to accomplish something. And then my grandfather was more of a dreamer. He was World War II era, we can do anything, we can conquer the world. And I really got my business drive from him. Uh, I went to college, ASU. Uh, my senior year, I had basically six credits to go to get my bachelor's in philosophy, and I ended up leaving ASU because I had just opened up my tattoo shop. Wow. And that came about when I was in the music industry, uh, I was a drummer in a band called Great A's, and uh, we had a lot of regional fame, couple of hit songs on the radio, and the lead singer ended up going on to be one of the biggest rock stars on the planet. Uh, his name is Chester Bennington, and yeah. he's the lead singer for uh, Lincoln Park. Park. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but at the time, you know, we were really ingrained in our band, and um, we were playing shows, you know, all over the the the, the Southwest United States in front of you know a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand people. Regularly, the band was pulling in good money, but we weren't getting paid as individuals. So the bass player and I decided, hey, we should open up a tattoo shop so we can make a little bit of money while we're on the road and actually support our, you know, our rent and our, our cell phone bill and our, you know, whatever bills we had while we were gone. We could actually make a little bit of money. So that's really how it started. And, uh, you know, of course, it exploded from there. Yeah, so you're, you're in a band. You're, you're kind of doing what... You know, living the rock star lifestyle and thinking, hey, I need a little more side money, so a little side business comes up on a, on a tattoo parlor. But, you know, that kind of makes sense, but how do you differentiate yourself? Because it just seems like, yeah, okay, there's a tattoo parlor in every corner, um, particularly in the southwest United States, it seemed like. How did you, how did you think you were going to differentiate yourself? Or was that even a concern at the time? So, yes, it was. Um, so, at the time, there was actually only eight tattoo parlors in all of Arizona. Really? So, I was, I was in and on the bottom floor, as we say. Um, what made us different was I hated the energy and vibe of those tattoo parlors. Parlor is not even a term I use to describe my company. Right. We call it an upscale studio. Um, even a retail store is, more, is preferable to a parlor to me. Parlor has a negative connotation. There's 
splash, these tattoo designs stapled on the wall. Right. There's these old, greasy, dirty biker-looking dudes that are too cool or too rough to talk to you when you walk <laughs> right. in the door. Right. That's like the anti-customer experience. So um, even at a young age, 20 years old when I opened my company, I wanted to develop something that was female-friendly, where girls felt like they could come into my store and feel comfortable. Like they weren't going to be talked down to or mistreated or... You know, I, I just, I didn't like that environment at all. So we, from day one, we didn't put any of the, the what's called tattoo flash, the designs up on the walls. We put them in nice, clean um, books on tables. We created like more of a studio, art studio feel right. to the business model. And then we worked our way up from there. Yeah. I mean, that's brilliant. I mean, you, you think about it, I mean, it's like, w- w- why not? Right. I mean, because... If you look at some of these tattoo artists, they are true, genuine artists, you know, and I think a lot of times you're right, that parlor connotation, it's gross, it's seedy, um, it's the wrong side of the tracks, all that kind of thing, but that's brilliant. Exactly. Yeah, that's brilliant that you kind of saw that at such a young age and say, hey, we're going to do things a little bit different. So that was, that was from the get-go, that's how you wanted to start it. Yeah, and, and it, so we had a different look right out of the gate. The second thing was, you know, our name, Club Tattoo, it's an ambiguous name, um, Somebody who's never been to a club tattoo or gotten work done at a club tattoo can still feel like they're part of something. If they were, if I were to show you a, a shirt that says club tattoo on it, you might want to wear it just because you think that is a cool name, that's a cool thing, you feel part of something, without even knowing that club tattoo was a brand of tattoo studios. Right. So that was uh, helpful as well. I think that the final ingredient for me and my company was when I brought my wife on board a few years into the business – um, she really helped me hone and, and define and create the systems and protocols for our employees and how we treated clients. So there was a system and a repeatable pattern of how we treated every aspect of the business, and that's really where we took off and separated from other tattoo parlors. Wow. So you had kind of this this um, visionary partner, the one that kind of augmented maybe where you hadn't really thought of or maybe you were kind of weak in. And your wife kind of augmented the, the business side or the kind of the visionary side. Is that, is that a fair statement? Uh, I don't know about the business side, but the organization, organization. structure with yeah. the infrastructure, I think, was a really big part of what she brought to the table for sure. I've always been the brand visionary of taking the, taking the brand right. where it's going to go, how I want it to feel and how I want it to look and how I want it to be perceived. And she'll say, okay, well, here's how we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to have this system in place, and we're going to hire this person for this position. That, those are the types of things that Thora, Thora is her name, really helped bring the company to that, to that uh, what I'll say, a fine polish. The operations side of it, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, tell me, this is interesting because I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs on this show, and there's a moment in an entrepreneurial journey where the entrepreneur, you know, you start out, you're excited, you got the vision, and at some point as you're starting to grow and the brand is starting to take off and you're starting to get more employees and maybe you're getting more locations, at some point it always hits that entrepreneur that they have to start thinking and acting like a leader. And maybe up to that point, a lot of times these entrepreneurs haven't even considered that aspect of it. Did that happen to you? Absolutely. Um, I was a leader in the band, so I I was a leader early in life. I had um, a lot of what I'll call leadership qualities where I always wanted to put myself in secondary positions so that I could make others um, 
feel good, succeed, right. be proud. Those those types of things. I've always had that, and I'm not sure where I got. Maybe my grandfather. Right. Um, and as far as in the business, I always knew that you led people by example, not by w- what you told them to do. I think one of the worst reasons you can give somebody to do something is because I said so. Yeah. Um, you have to teach them the why. And I've, I've always been very good about explaining as to why I'm asking them to do that so that they can understand it and help their peripheral thinking. You know, it doesn't help me to just say clean that floor and then they clean the floor and then they don't know what to do next. If, if you can train your people and explain to them the why and what you're asking them to do, then you won't have to do it again. You, they'll be able to think on their own and then actually help your business grow because they'll be bringing ideas and the why back to you. This is why I think we should change this. And then you'll get great feedback from your employees if you can treat them well and explain. You know, you just said something there that we've talked about on this show, and I want to make sure we pause and emphasize that point because what you just said there was absolutely uh, the cardinal truth when it comes to life and leadership. And this is where I think most businesses and most leaders on a personal and professional level miss the boat is what you just said. I mean, that really is, to me, the secret sauce in leadership and, and what, uh, when people are looking to try to take their business or life to the next level, it is that concept, what you just articulated there, that if you just take the time, and I don't think, I, I've always confused why people don't do it, and I guess because it takes a little more energy and effort, but the payoff is so much um so much more rewarding is if you take that time to say, this is what we're trying to accomplish and why that really is the ultimate job or the primary function of a leader. And um, it's, it's so great that you, you knew that from, from day one, that is such a gift that you had that. I don't know about from day one, but it's something <laughs> I <laughs> right. definitely have worked on and, and been conscious of uh, to, as something I needed to work towards and, and, and become, I think the biggest job we have, my wife and I, are being good leaders. Our company, the brand itself, it's already proof of concept. It's beyond, um, is this going to work? We know it's going to work. Now it's just the main maintenance and trying to make sure that it grows in a productive fashion, and that, that and that just requires good leadership. How many? So, at what point did you? Um when did it really become clear to you when you got had two stores? What was it one? I mean, at what point do you kind of was there a defining moment when you realized, hey, I really got to be focusing on the leadership side of this? Yeah, when I decided to leave the music industry in 2000, um, Gray Days had broken up, um, and Chester went under Lincoln Park, and uh, I took basically all of the energy that I had from my music career and I poured it into the, to my company and the company literally exploded within three years. We had four studios from that point on. Um, you know, we did a, we had a large fight with the city of Tempe in Arizona because they were bringing in the light rail system. Right. And I write about this in my book. And, um, you know, my father was an accountant for the transportation department. So he basically told me, son, you're going to be put out of business. This is going to kill your company. And I said, no, no, no. He said, look, here's the numbers. And he showed me all the research for it. And basically, when they build these large, gigantic um, pieces of infrastructure in a city, it really does strangle off the local business. And it's understandable. I mean, there's construction going on for three years in front of your store. It's just going to happen. So, you know, I tried to fight it initially. And 
lost, obviously. And uh, so we planned to fail our first store. We planned that it was going to be run out of business. And Thor and I decided to open up a store just a few blocks away out of the construction zone. And once we did that, it worked like a alternating current. It was like the second store became a lightning rod for the first store, was, which was already super successful. Right. We had planned on that first store just, you know, running, you know, running down, running down, running down until we finally closed the doors. And it worked just the opposite. I mean, the brand just exploded. And all of a sudden, we had two stores that we could, you know, we had too much business. We couldn't get all the clients in. And even this was during all the construction. We made it through all the construction. 54 businesses actually went out of business on that street I'm talking about. Wow. We were one of the few that survived and thrived. Why is that? What What do you think was the contributing factor? The second store was in such a good location that our brand identity and, and um, our, our, our visual presence in the community in Tempe is literally on the corner of the, of the Arizona State University. And we had just this bright red beacon building with our name all over it. And we just became the it store. That is so cool. I love that story. And therefore... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, therefore, the overflow for the second store went right back to the first store, even though people had to duck and dodge through construction. That is so there. awesome. You know, it's almost like, I I don't know, and maybe maybe this is too squishy or weird, but it, it seems like when the fact that um, I'm a firm believer that when you take action or you do something in the midst of an overwhelming situation or overwhelming odds and you and the tenacity kind of works through despite what you're feeling at the moment i feel like the the universe has to move for you and to me that's one of those stories where it, it seems like it happens like it looked like all was lost but you said you know what screw this we're still going to do this i'm sure that was racked with doubt and uncertainty during all that time but once it ha- you know what i mean it it just seems like when you when you do the work anyway the universe has to move for you it just has to what are your thoughts on that I- I think you're right. I think that your moments of decision um, will plan out where you're supposed to go. And if you don't make a decision, then you basically are sitting idle waiting to die off. Right. Um, whether you make a decision in the wrong way or the right way or the way that you're hoping it's going to work out, that, like you said, the universe is going to shift to whichever direction. And it at least allows you to make more decisions to further your growth or the direction you want to go. If you just sit there and wait for stuff to happen, usually it's the wrong thing or the bad thing that's going to occur. Right. It's like whatever you think, because when you're sitting there, when you're stuck in that kind of stagnant moment, all you're thinking about is the negative or the stagnation, and you're going to attract, and you're going to attract that, right? Absolutely. You're just sinking in quicksand, watching it happen, wondering when someone's going to save you, and that just life doesn't work like that. Right. You have to create your own destiny. You have to create your own action. I'd at least rather try and fail than not try at all. I can't deal with not trying at all. Exactly. It's like sitting on your deathbed with the regret of you know all those kind of dreams walking around looking at you at your deathbed shaking your head is probably my biggest fear you know what i mean yeah you don't want to live with i should have i know it that's awesome i love that story did your grandfather see any of the success yeah you know he he passed away in 2001 so my company we had our second store at that point um so he saw a little bit of it and he got to see the business and check it out uh, before he passed and he was always a big influence for me that's awesome he had the can-do attitude. That's yeah, great. You want it's always it's kind of scary to think about what if he wasn't there in your life. You know what I mean? Maybe there would have been somebody else. Maybe the universe would have 
put somebody else in in your path. But that those always I I always kind of think about those things, you know, because you think back to that one individual that kind of started you going in a different path, right? Yeah, and if he wasn't there, I think I'd probably be a nine to five corporate guy because you know my parents they wanted me to get a job at American Express or you know get a state job. They have good benefits, you know that whole mentality, which I get. You know, it's it's for a lot of people. It's just right. not for me. Right. I get it. Yeah, and I, I didn't mean to you know disparage that necessarily, but I get what you're saying. That if it's not for you, you know what I mean. It's not yeah, that. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I totally understood where you were coming from. Yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. I'm curious about how do you make sure if you're running a successful tattoo business, you've got to have kick-ass artists. How did you? How did that start from the beginning? Because if you're not producing a quality product, you're not going to have a, a fan base. I mean, because I'm sure that's how it gets started. You know, you get somebody yeah. who's really knocking it out of the park, and then then it just starts to spread like wildfire. How yeah, did, you're right. And the branding, um, those two things yeah. together. You can be the greatest artist in the world, and there's a lot of. Um, examples of that where there's some great artist sitting in a closet somewhere doing nothing that's because he doesn't know how to brand himself so that's where we we actually add value to our artists and the artists have come to know that that's why they want to work for us at this point finding good artists is actually an easy part of the job for us because we announced we have a position and we'll have 50 to 100 artists apply because they know the brand's reputation but back in the 90s it was a little bit harder you know we had to um lure them with uh how we were treating them you know they had their own private room this is what we supply for you this is how we're this is how we're advertising so we had to we had to explain ourselves and, and really show where we added value to their career right uh, and the biggest thing that we do is brand their art with our company so that, you know we get them in magazines we get them um we we've done quite a few collaboration deals like we did a four-year shoe deal with a brand called etnies um soul technology is one of the fourth largest shoe company in the world uh, and we cut our artists in on that project, and we said, okay, you guys do the art. We're going to be 50-50 partners on what we do here. And, you know, we sold over 20,000 pairs of shoes. Um, same thing we did with a bicycle card company. We just did a, a three-year deal with them. We landed in every Walmart and Target with the cards, the playing cards, Club Tattoo branded playing cards. We had a couple of our artists do the artwork for that. We cut them in as partners. So these are ancillary programs that help help build their career besides just their tattooing. It gets their name out there, their brand, and of course it ties them in with Club Tattoo, which is now world renowned, and uh, it ties them into something you know bigger than themselves. Yeah, I love it. How do you um, how do you keep the success going? I, I, well, I'm interested to know as you, if you as as you started to grow as a business, were there people that tried to um, stop you? The detractors were there. Dark moments, there were dark days. How, and how did? Are, are there anything you want oh, to share? Yeah, we've yeah. had we've had some some dark days, of course. Um, when when the, some of the dark days was when we first started to fight that light rail system. That was that was scary. Yeah. everything we had was tied into that one store at the time. Right. You know, we've had employees that have all banded together and you know left us and opened up across the street to try. You know, we're gonna we're gonna you know put these guys out of business and do this ourselves. And you know that stuff has happened to us. But we try not to focus on the negative stuff when something like that happens. Laura and I just have a conversation. We remind ourselves that what we're doing is good. And let's figure out how to move this forward in a positive direction and cut the dead weight, cut the negativity out as quickly as we can. I love that. You know, we're human too, of course, because, you know, we still stress and, 
and you know we'll have arguments or, or, or things of that nature, but we don't try to focus on that stuff. It's really not what's got us where we're at, and we know that. So as soon as we get back to the core of who we are as a company and who we are as business people, it's much easier to get back on track. I love that. It's betting on the strengths as opposed to exactly you know, of, yeah. of spending all the time like, on the oh, we weaknesses. We did this wrong. We did this wrong. Well, we could say that a hundred more times, or we can say how are we going to fix it or how are we going to move forward. I love that solution-based thinking. I love that mentality. You're right. I mean, it's, and it's it's necessity in the leadership entrepreneurship game. You have to have that, otherwise, it's going to bury you. You know, absolutely. Yeah, I love that. When did you when did you get your? I can imagine once you get a celebrity client, that can turn things around for you. I would imagine. Um, is that a true statement or not? Or is it that not that big of a well, deal? For us, it happened really early on because of my ties in the music industry. So oh, yeah. there was this, the, one of the biggest music venues in Arizona was called the Electric Ballroom. And the band, like I said, we were huge at the time locally. So when we would play with, you know, Vince Neil or Seven Mary Three or, or um, bands, you know, Suicidal Tendencies, you name it, they were coming through town. We were playing with them. We would drag them over to the tattoo shop and tattoo them. Cool. And then we would, you know, we did, there was no Facebook to post it on at the time, of course, in the, in the 90s. But uh, we would take photos and put them up in frames in the, in the shop. And now it's so much easier. You know, we have, you know, Tori Spelling walk in or, or uh, you know, I don't know, who's a slash from Guns N' Roses comes in. And we, we tattoo them. It's so much easier to let everybody know what just happened. Like literally in seconds, we can go live on Facebook and, and show it. It does help. The celebrity cachet definitely helps. Our partner being a giant celebrity helps as well. But... For us now, the worldwide stage has gotten a lot easier to access because of our locations in Las Vegas on the Strip sure. and the collaboration deals that we've done with big companies like we talked about with Oster and Bicycle and, and Etnies and stuff like that. We've really got a global reach now. That's so cool. I mean, and you're right. Your stores, um, I've seen your, I've seen your store on the Strip and it does, it is completely different, you know, and, and as a non-tattoo guy, but I'm very fascinated with with that business and that modeling, I mean, it is different, you know, it is safe. It is clean. Um, it is upscale. Um, it's all those things that, that you're striving for. Why aren't more people emulating that, that model? They're trying to, you know, there's a couple of, there's a couple of things that really differentiate us in the market. And I think, you know, I, I like to be the visionary of the brand, but quite honestly, my wife and partner, she designed the stores. And without her touch, without her eyes for that stuff, I wouldn't, I couldn't do this. You know, I, I wouldn't be nearly as successful without my partner. So that, that alone, the fact that I have a really strong business partner and somebody that brings something completely different than me to the table, I think, um, makes us that it's like we have two, really good business leaders rather than just one. So that that's one thing. Secondly, it's very expensive to try to copy what we do. You know, the store that you're talking about at Miracle Mile, Thor and I spent $2 million yeah. opening that store. Right. So it's very difficult to just try to copy and say, oh, we're going to, because we've had people try to do that. Oh, we're just going to copy this. And it's like, okay, you're going to see how expensive it really is. Right. And, and then the other thing is, you know, you've got a multiple of factors here. You, you're going to try to copy our $2 million store. You've got $2 bucks. Great. Where are you going to put it? Right, you know, uh, Phoenix, Arizona. You're gonna, you, you, it, so you have to, you have to have the right combination of how much money are we gonna pour into this location? Is it the right demographic and the right market visually? So that's that. Then you have to have the eye that my business partner has to develop the look of the store. So there's that. Then you have the 
individual differentiations like our touchscreen software that we created. You know, Thor and I put $150,000 into that system and developing a unique software system that helps the customer help look for their tattoos and search through the portfolios. It creates a completely different interactive tattoo experience for the clients. That So all these things together, it's very difficult to just say, oh, we're going to copy this. Right. It sounds like you you know one of your goals is is and I love it when businesses or, or organizations or individuals are disruptors in the positive sense and that's the that's the feeling I get about you and about club tattoo is that a fair statement absolutely i I do think we are disruptors in the industry. I think we've brought a lot of positivity change in a forward thinking fashion to the tattoo and piercing industry without a doubt we've done that. I love it. I, I think that, you know, and, and to me, leadership, entrepreneurship is, it, it is all about disruption. And I love that word. And, and a lot of times people look at it as a, a think of it as a negative term, but I think it's a completely positive because I hate stagnation. I hate mediocrity. I mean, the whole world is just bathing in it. So anything that you can do that separates yourself in a positive way where you're adding value, not disruptive, you know, not like Kathy Griffin holding up a, a mock uh, head. You know what I mean? Foolish. That, that's yeah, that's you know, not disruptive. Entertain fools is an easy thing to do, and I think it's lowbrow. That's not right. I, I completely see where you're going with that. One of the things I think that's also uh, a need about our company is, you know, aside from myself, we're women ran. All of our store managers are all women, and we do that on purpose. Awesome. Because early, early on in the '90s, you know, there's this testosterone environment where if there's conflict, basically, you know, I don't really want this in print, but. You know, we'd go out in the parking lot, we'd settle it like, you know, 20-year-old kids, which is ridiculous. So yep. you get to a point where you want a real business, and you don't want to handle things like, like that anymore. My wife brought a sense of deflation as far as the attitude, testosterone, and stupidity that is normally found in the tattoo environment. So we have um, women leaders, and it's awesome. It brings such a different perspective to running the company. And they can really... Check me when I need to be checked, which is good because every good leader needs to be checked at some times and give me a completely different perspective on, hey, what about this? Or, or, or maybe we should look at it from this point of view. And I, I really I think that's one of the key differentiating factors of, for our company as well. I love that, man. Of course, as a father of four daughters, and I've said this countless times on this show, I really do think that and I'm a leadership junkie and, and coming from the Marine Corps and everything else and I've seen it in the corporate arena. I do think women make better leaders than men. And I don't I wish more women would see that in themselves. And I certainly wish some of the, 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 the dumbass men who think that there's no place for it would wake up and see it too. I really do think, particularly now in these days, that there's so many opportunities for women to be great leaders. I think they make better leaders in the long run better than men. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I don't know. It's just kind of like when you watch that show Naked and Afraid. I don't know if you ever see it, and but they they always pair up a man and a woman, and a lot, nine times out of ten it'll be some you know hard charging Type A Marine Corps guy in there, and they they end up being the ones that complain the most, and it's always a woman that kind of drags them through. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's cool. I th- I love what you're doing. I love your philosophy. I love the way you look at life, the way you look at business. Um, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to? What's next for Club Tattoo? So what's next for Club Tattoo? We really, um, we have two different uh, business visions right now. One is we want to roll out uh, five to ten more stores nationally um, that Thora, Chester, and I own. 
Um, so corporate owned stores, um, that, you know, we want to do, uh, one or two more in Vegas. We want to do Dallas, Nashville, think, markets like that. Um, secondly, we're actually building a franchise model. I think we're going to be the first tattoo and piercing studio to actually franchise our business model. We're creating, um, the whole internal structure of that component right now. And hopefully within the next year, we've got something to actually present in, into the franchise world. That's exciting, man. And you got a brand new book that you just launched. It's just uh, just come out called Tattooed Millionaire. Talk a little bit about that. How's that going? It's going good. So it just launched a couple weeks ago. Um, like you said, it's called Tattooed Millionaire. And it's it's uh, it's kind of encompasses my story of how I grew up, how I got in the music industry, how Club Tattoo came along, how I met my wife, our kids. And then we go through a lot of the struggles in the book of, um, you know, some of our biggest failures. And, uh it, one of the things I thought was most important in telling our story was how we failed and how we got back up from those failures and kept moving forward. I think it's a super important component of any good business leader to be able to talk about and learn from their failures. Yeah, and it's almost like when, and I imagine that you're you're in this this place now mentally, is that failure becomes almost a nonsensical word, right? I mean, it's like you have to kind of, I mean, what does failure even mean really anyway, right? Unless you just completely, totally quit and completely give up, right? But Yeah, I think failure is, is, is um, I think it's a two-part two, two part thought process. So one is you tried something and for outside circumstances, it just did not work. You could not make it work. Second, the second component of that is giving up. So you know, one of the failures I talk about in the book was we opened a store in San Francisco back in 2012, and Thor and I were really excited. It was on Pier 39, and it was just an amazing location. Yeah. At the end of the pier, we were looking at Alcatraz and sure. and our store, you know, and, and the Golden Gate Bridge, and we were over the water and the sea lions, and it was just gorgeous. And we spent another two million bucks, and the traffic wasn't there. Wow. Uh, you know, the the things that we were told. And counting on as business owners, you know, hours of operations, real simple things, um, just didn't come to fruition the way we had either A, anticipated or B, had actually been told and could rely on these things that just didn't happen. So part of the failure was our oversight of the components to the business model that we should have um, had 100% knowledge of, like, um, you know, certain things that the peer told us that weren't entirely true. But we take it, you know, we have to take ownership of of that specific failure. And at the end of three years, um, we could have kept the business going, but it was just becoming such a drain on her and I, not only emotionally, but our family, because we were traveling so much. And then, you know, you start talking about diminishing returns, like, okay, well, we're flying out to San Francisco, you know, six days, seven days a month, we're not seeing our kids, and this business really is not, after three years, mind you, it's not putting off any type of return. We're actually losing about $60,000 a year. Wouldn't we rather lose $60,000 a year in our sleep than have to travel out here, you know, two, three times a month to do that? And we finally came to the to the decision, yeah, that is the, the better choice. Let's, let's just cut our losses and, and regroup. And uh, that was a gigantic learning lesson for us. Something I don't want to have to repeat, you know. Right. Uh, I, th- I don't think Thor does either, but it was something I think that was necessary for us to have to uh, to go through. 
And you know, it's a great it's a it's a great story because I mean, even my my stomach's kind of even knots even think because I can just imagine, man, being on Pier Thirty Nine, perfect location. You think this would just be an automatic home run? Yeah, we did, that, and that was part of our problem. And I talk about that in the book. I talk about, you know, quite honestly, my arrogance. Um, you know, we were, Thor and I when we first went out to the first meeting. I, I I write about this this whole experience. We walked down. We're like, we are going to do so well here. Yeah. It's so perfect. It's great. And we're seeing all these little businesses. They have these old antiquated cash registers that they're <laughs> punching in by hand with these little ticker tapes. So we're like, these people are idiots. What are they doing? Right. So, you know, of course, we have this gigantic POS system and, and this integrated software. And we realize, okay, after about year one, we realize we are idiots. These people have these old school cash registers because they manipulate them in order to not pay the taxes of what's going on. Uh. That specific city has what they what they pass what's called a gross use tax, which I had never heard of before in business. They wanted one percent of your gross sales if you if you grossed over a million dollars, whether you made money or not. Wow. And I'd never heard of that before. So our first year, Thor and I get a bill for eighteen thousand dollars at the end of the year. By the way, which was not a great year. You know, it was our first year in business. We just spent all this money to get our business up and running. We get a we get handed a bill for eighteen thousand dollars. And then we get handed another bill for the next year's future taxes they wanted up front based on our current sales. Oh, my God. And that was just like a gigantic slap in the face. And that's when we realized the government was very anti-small business in, in San Francisco. You see, um, this, the city there, they cut these, these crazy deals with businesses like Google um, because they see them as job creators, and that, which is so oxymoronic to me when they consider one business a job creator and another business not a job creator. So they get a special set of tax benefits to, to the job creator. And then the guy who is a small business, you know, we had, I don't know, 26 employees or whatever. So we were considered non-job creators. So we didn't get those tax breaks. So you're automatically fighting an uphill battle, not only to retain employees, you know, things like that. People don't generally think of that. So we have to offer a certain higher package to our employees to compete with this this non-tax paying entity, you know, and I'm using Google as an example, so they can now pay their employees more. So we're, you know, do you understand? You're having yeah. to fight. It's, we're having to fight a, a battle we really couldn't win to retain employees in that city. It's and insane. It was very difficult. No wonder that city so. Or that it's state. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a business model for a city that was completely unsustainable that they will either file bankruptcy or somebody will have to bail them out. It is absolutely inevitable that that's going to happen to that city. That's crazy. Yeah. I will, we will never own another business in San Francisco, I can tell you that. Well, I don't blame you. Man, that, ah, that frustrates me. That's a whole other topic and a whole other, whole other show. But uh, I'll be glad to be a guest on that topic. <laughs> yeah, on that no show kidding. Well. Well. Oh, Sean, this has been such a fun conversation. I look forward to um, diving into your book. I encourage all my listeners to check out Club Tattoo. I'm, they can... Uh, it's already going up the ranks on Amazon. I was looking at it earlier today. Tattooed Millionaire. You tattooed, said Club Tattoo. I'm sorry. Tattoo, sorry. Tattooed Millionaire. That's okay. I knew. Um, I, I'm looking forward to diving into it, and um, and I'm looking forward to when I'm in Vegas next, or even in Phoenix. Do you hang your hat in Phoenix? Is that where you? Yeah. So reside? my wife and I we reside full time in Phoenix, and then we have a, a a place up in Vegas as well. Yeah, I look forward to catching up with you, grabbing some coffee sometime. I'd look forward to. Um, I, I know that uh, you and I have a mutual friend, and uh, we've never met you and I, but uh, I look forward to uh, to sitting down with you and having a beer or a coffee with you at some point. Yeah, reach out. Let me know. I'd love to. 
Thanks for coming on the show, man. How can people get in touch with you? How can people learn more about you? How can people interact with you? What's, uh, what do you like to plug here? So they can go to shondowdell.com or clubtattoo.com for more information. You can get the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, basically, I hope you guys enjoy reading the book and, uh, and reading my story, and I really appreciate you having me on. Sean, it's been a pleasure, and like I said, I'm glad to have you in the Dose of Leadership Circle, and I look forward uh, to, to working with you in the future. Thanks, Richard. Have a great day. See you. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.